Well, good morning. We invite you to take your Bibles or your Ruth booklets and turn to Ruth chapter four. We're in verses 13 to 22. This morning, you all, we actually finish the text in Ruth. Now, we're not done with this series because we've got one more. Rob is doing that at Brentwood this morning. And so next week, Rob will come here and we'll be wrapping up a summary of our study through the book. But this morning, we're in verses 13 to 22 of uh, chapter four. It was February 13th when we began our study through the book of Ruth. I don't know about you, but who knew that 85 short verses would pack such a wallop would carry the weight and the theological freight that it has. My, personally, I can say this, my view of God has been enlarged. My understanding of hope has been deepened. Um, God's providence, of which we just sang about, has, uh, has wrecked me, undid me, quite frankly, put me back together. I'm not fully put back together because I live with that tension that I, I hope we all do, a biblical tension wherein God's providence is a mystery that we cannot fully penetrate, but it is a biblical reality that we can trust. We can ultimately trust God's providence, God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. All his creatures and all their actions. This is my, and I hope our, sure and certain confidence and hope because Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they're just ordinary people. And by their ordinary lives and choices, we see that they understood God's providence could be trusted. I wanna ask you to be thinking about your own journey through Ruth, if you would, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how it's shaped your heart. You know, we, when we finish a book study, and you know, that's what we do, we study through books of the Bible, we'll, we'll take breaks and do, like, we'll be some, doing some summer in the Psalms a little bit here, but normally we're in a book of the Bible. And when we finish that book, what we like to do is we like to summarize that book. Rob will do it next week. And then we like to share with one another how that book shaped us. And it's, it's an important part of our body life. It's an important part of our own equipping and God building us up in faith. And so you might think about it this way. How, how, how has this story of Ruth shaped the understanding of your own story? In that, how has this story shaped your story and even where you are right now. Next week, as we pass a microphone around, we'll have mics up here that people can come and share. I really mean this when I, when I say this because I mean it. Some of you, God will put upon your heart to share something. And what you share is precisely what someone else in the room or online needs to hear. And they need to hear it, not from Rob or I as we're teaching, but from, from members within the body so, so that they can know, I, I can have hope because I hear that coming from this person. So we take it very seriously that you would be, you'd trust the spirit to prompt you 
in what you might share next week. Now, we're in the final, um, I guess the last few verses. And so I do wanna do something a little different this morning. We, we, we do it sometimes, not all the times when we're in a book, but I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time, please. We're gonna stand in honor of God's word as we conclude this book. And words will be on the screen in your Bible. Just look at it, follow along. You don't need to read out loud. I'll read it, but follow along in your Bible as we read God's word for us today. It's verse 13 of chapter four. The story continues. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. <clears throat> For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. <clears throat> they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed. <coughs> Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Oh God, we pray you would make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Peter Berry was a young man who wanted to leave a mark. He wanted to, he wanted to know that his life counted, that his life mattered for something. Um, he became one of Chicago's most notorious, if not famous, taggers, or as they're sometimes called, sometimes, sometimes called bombers. They're graffiti artists. And these would be those individuals who would climb into subways and be standing as a subway train went inches from their body just so they could paint on the walls of those tunnels. These are those people who would climb cranes hundreds of feet in the air and they'd literally write their name on the top of the crane where, where literally no one would see it. And yet these are the same people who would hang over bridges and overpasses, write their name so that anyone and everyone would see their name in the early morning hours of August 16th, 2005, Peter Berry was killed by a northbound Chicago Red Line train. It was ruled an accident. It was two days after his 22nd birthday. Chicago Tribune writer Bill Glauber was reporting this where I had the story. He says, Worm, who did not give his real name because he was a tagger himself, said, Peter wasn't just any bomber, he was one of the greatest. He climbed to the highest spots. He had guts. His name was known. His name will still be known, end quote. And I think 
these taggers are onto something. Now, the way they go about it, I would suggest, is not the, the correct path to, to, to go about it. But what's motivating them from within is, I believe, truly <clears throat> at the center of how God has made each one of us. Made in God's image, you all. Every human being is made to live a life that matters. And yes, even live, live a life that is to be remembered. You know, according to the scripture, being eternally significant, living an eternally significant life is closely tied, okay, to the idea that Worm had here when he said his name is known and his name will be remembered. That's the point of Rob's message last week. If you missed it, I, I want you to go back and grab it because again, it sets up this message. We're finishing the part, part one, part two of chapter four. You remember Rob talked about a no name and then Boaz, a greater name. And, and it was a contrast between the no name and all the other names listed. And we're talking about names, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz that we're talking 4,000 years later, we're talking about them versus the man who has no name that we do not remember. Well, we're picking up the same theme. So it's still this same theme in our text today of a remembered name. And, and, and I wanna, I'm gonna frame our text in this way. Um, how one lives their life so that their name is remembered, I think is one of the most important critical and important questions we can answer, anyone can answer. Our text is gonna answer the question for us entire, indeed the whole story has been answering it, but we'll land that answer today. It will surprise you and it won't surprise you at all. Here's how we're gonna break out the text. It's, it's, uh, I've got three parts. A son is given, that's verse 13. And then a blessing is pronounced. So a son is given and then a blessing is pronounced. That's 14 to 17. And then we'll finish with 18 to 22. A promise is kept. A son is given, a blessing is pronounced, and then a promise is kept. Look again at your Bibles. Verse 13 reads, so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son, there's nine plus months in that verse and a lot going on. I mean, within that verse, there's the, there's the wedding, there's conception, there's pregnancy, and there's a birth of a son. He says that Boaz went into her, the, 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 the picture there is that he went into the bridal chamber, you know, to consummate the marriage. I don't want us to forget that <coughs> Ruth was infertile, um, 10 years in uh, Moab with Malon, she did not conceive. Trust me, they tried, you know, they tried to conceive and, and she could not conceive. Uh, we don't have any means, right, of saying, well, maybe she wasn't infertile, maybe it was Malon. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't know and that's really beside the point. What, what the story tells us is this, that her infertility lies squarely at the feet of God, that God, is, that God is in control and even in this. And this is, y'all, this is the bitter, sweet providence of God. This is the tension 
Remember, you remember this, the, remember our, our losses? We had that slide of our losses and that slide of our hallelujahs. This is life. We have losses and hallelujahs. And for some, and some of you looking at, read, listen to me online right now, some of you in the room, some of you, you understand your losses don't turn into hallelujahs. For some, infertility doesn't all of a sudden become, oh, we're pregnant. It doesn't, that's not life. That's not the way life happens. And while it seems a very difficult and in some ways we stand back and say, well, that's, that's cruel, that's not right. I mean, but God's in control of that. And, and I would suggest that it is the most hopeful answer. It's the biblical answer because it's a recognition that God is in control. And if, if that's not the answer, then you have this other answer, which is God is not in control. We can trust God's hand. If the book of Ruth is, is teaching us anything, and let's take, you know, gotta look at the story as a whole and the events that they went through, it's teaching us that God rules and God reigns over his creation for his purposes and plans. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways, with every detail of our lives. He is at work for our ultimate good and his full disclosure of his glory. This is where all things are moving. Even when, and you remember when I talked about this earlier in the study, even when the proximate, what's in front of us, the proximate things of life look like he's not in control at all. This is not going, even when that proximate looks like that, no, we know that ultimate, that in the end, that it's God's purpose and plans that prevail and his purposes and plans are good because he's good and they're for his glory. And let me say this, just maybe as a helpful, something to hang on to when we think of this, it's why we don't measure God's faithfulness, okay, in, um, in the snapshots of life. If you think of an old movie reel, you don't, you don't measure God's faithfulness by one cell of the, of the movie reel that contains thousands of cells. You see what I'm saying? You can think of it this way. We don't measure God's faithfulness by the chapters in our story. You gotta go to the whole story. And I'm even gonna take it above that, you all, because when we read our Bibles, we find that those who are faithful to God, their lives, at the end of their lives, they were terrible. Read Hebrews in the hall of fame of faith. Those who were cut in two and killed and thrown to, you know what I'm saying? They've done all, so it's not just, you can't look at the snapshot. You can't look at the chapter. You gotta look at the, the story, but not even your story. You gotta look at the whole story of God's story, of his ultimate purposes and plans. It's only in that context can we walk by faith and can we trust that he's in control? Does that make sense? Because sometimes you, it, it, it's, it's like he's not. <laughs> What's going on here? But no, in the fullness of his story, we recognize his great providence, even as we, even as we just sang about it. A son is given, look at verses 14 to 17, a blessing is pronounced then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He's talking about the baby now, the child. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. 
They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. First thing I want us to note is in verse 14, Whereas, whereas the, think about this, the, the blessing for Boaz, this is earlier, is may his name be great in Bethlehem. So it's like, may his name be great in the city. And may I say Bethlehem was a tiny city, but may his name be great in the city. When we get to Obed, we note verse 14, it's may his name be renowned in Israel. Now we're getting bigger. Do you see that there's a progression that's taking place there? The names in this story, in particular in chapter four, Rob, I'm picking up what Rob covered. We go, no name, no name. Greater name, name known in Bethlehem. Greater name, name known in Israel. And then I want you to note in the, in the back end, at, at, the, at the end of verse 17, the last name, and then the last name at the end of the whole book is the name, what name is that? No name, greater name, Bethlehem, greater name, Israel, David, the greatest king in Israel. Now I'm gonna come back to this progression. Just hold that thought for a moment. I want us to see something. The writer has put a bookend on this story. Here's the kind of the literary beauty of the book. There's a bookend at front and then he puts a bookend at the back that requires a bit of our attention. Flip in your Bibles to chapter one, verses 19 to 21. This is the first, I'll call it a bookend here at the front end, a marker he puts. This is after their return to Bethlehem. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. You notice that the book ends here, that there's this, this event at the beginning of the book when the women of the city speak to Naomi. And then we're over here in chapter four, the women of the city speak to Naomi. See, so you have these two bookends, a closure on the book. But I want you to notice at the front end, when, when the women spoke to Naomi, she changed her name. We gotta carry that weight. See, because now we're at the back end on chapter four, and what, what's the whole topic of this message in a sense? The name, <laughs> That must be, see what I'm saying? So he hinted at it here, but she changed her name. And the, the, the significance of this is only the one in authority changes the name of the one under authority. Think about your Bible story. It's God who changes names. Because God, when he changes that name, he's identifying this new birth or new, this character within that person. So in a sense, feel this, Naomi, Na- God names things. Naomi takes, takes an authority that's not hers to rename herself. Now, Rob and I have been super clear on this. I think, and he, we both do, we think Naomi's just as much a hero in this story as Boaz and Ruth. 
And so how do we explain this? At the beginning over here, this, I'm gonna change my name because Naomi means pleasant, but I want you to call me Mara because that's who I am. I am bitter. I would explain it perhaps in this way. There are losses and pains and hurts in life that are so hard to bear and that prompt and bring out in us some things we may say to God about ourselves to others that just, it's the pain crying out. And I wanna suggest that's what this is. I wanna say, I don't think God was offended at all in this way. I think it was an expression of her deep loss that had no words. I think it explains why David in the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, David says things to God that, that ought to make us blush. I mean, what I go, no, 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 don't say that. No, he can express his heart because he can express his pain to God because God knows that pain. God can take that pain. Here's where I know God was not offended by this, nor, nor in the beauty of the story was Ruth or those around Naomi because you will not find anyone in the story of Ruth calling Naomi Mara. That name didn't stick because that's not who Naomi was. I believe Naomi was deep in genuine faith, which tells us deep in genuine faith, some weird stuff can come out of us, even though our faith is sure and secure. Now go back to chapter four and I'll, I'll have you note verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. I think this is a wonderful picture of what it means to choose hesed, which is to choose to love another at great cost to yourself and, and how we do that even when it's not affirmed or seen or recognized. Because back here in chapter one, when Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I went away full and I'm back. Here I am with you now, empty. And here's Ruth, the Moabitess, who's pledged herself to her. And, and, and you know, in, her, in her hurt and pain, blinded, she just doesn't even recognize Ruth. And yet now let's go to the other bookend. The women of the city are speaking to Naomi and they look at Naomi and speak of this child that's been born through Ruth. And let me, they say, look, your daughter-in-law, the one that was standing next to you when you said you came back empty, the one who stands next to you now has given birth to your grandson, who's a restorer of life, a redeemer to you. She is more to you than seven sons. It's this, she's the goat. She is the greatest of all time. It's literally what they mean by that. We can't get any fuller in that. In a patriarchal society where it all began with the patriarch, for a woman to give birth to seven sons, the picture of completion and wholeness. Isn't it amazing? This is, I just wanna remind you and remind myself that to choose Hesed, to choose to love at great cost to yourself, you may never get recognized this side of heaven, but it never goes unnoticed. The women affirm Ruth's faith. A promise kept, that's the last part. Let me grab this. 
We end with a genealogy. Look at verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Minadab, Minadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. We land at David once again. We're not sure, can't be dogmatic on the reason for the genealogy. We do know this, and may I say this, it's an abbreviated genealogy. In the book of Genesis, there's two other genealogies that are 10 named genealogies. Well, the fact is there's a lot more names that need to be in those genealogies to get from point A to point B. Do that make sense? So this is an abbreviated, this isn't everyone. There's, there's a reason they, 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 they shortened it. Um, they highlight the seventh name. I know that in these 10 named genealogies, which would be Boaz would be that, that name. We noticed, I said this earlier, that the shorter version, verse 17, we go from Obed to Jesse to David, David, David. In the second genealogy, we start at Perez, but the point is to get us to David, David, David. The spotlight is moving off of Boaz and Obed to David. And I wanna step back from the story, go, well, why, why the emphasis on David here? Okay, we gotta get back from the story for a moment. Let's remember that this little story, okay, it happens in a, you know, this little window of time, it happened, the book already had told us at the beginning, in the days when the judges ruled. So, so remember, this story's happening in the, perhaps the darkest period, one of the darkest periods of Israel's history, when the nation was on the verge of extinction, of being no more. That's when this story is happening. It was in the days when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I happen to be in Judges right now in my own Bible reading, you know, when I read through the Bible. And, and, I, and I've said this before and it's just reaffirming it. Y'all, if you read Judges, it's, it's I was gonna say it's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing, it's, it's it, you will be aghast at what people do to other people. The, the fallenness of humanity is capable of, of such horrendous things, it's hard to fathom, but you read it in the book of Judges. So, so that's when this story happened in this time when Israel's about to expire. Now, I'm gonna move forward in time to say the original readers, so that's when the story happened, but the story's passed down and now, now the original readers of the story, it's not me and you, the original Hebrews reading it, they're reading it at a time during the reign of King David, okay? So that's the original readers. They're reading it and David's ruling and, and reigning. And when, when they're reading this, one of the things that the original readers can say is look back and go, oh my, when, when there, there was a time when, when there would be no David because, because the line is over. I mean, think about it. Naomi, childless. Uh, Ruth, infertile, childless, widows in a context where there's really no hope for widows. It's all over. So they could look and go, gosh, at a time when it was all over, look, God continued the line of David. And then when David passes from the scene, so now those who lived during David's reign, it was a glory, it was glory days, but wow, David almost didn't get here. God saw that he did. And then when David passes away 
and, and we step into the time of David's sons, oh my goodness, you wanna talk about the book of Ruth would look at the, the path of David's sons and go, we're on, David's sons are almost no more because they were faith, most were faithless. And now there's a lot riding on the line of David because they know that God has promised that the king of kings, the Messiah, is gonna come through the line of David. And so they're living in a day when they go, gosh, the, king, the Messiah is gonna come through the line of David, but none of his sons are any good. And in fact, the kingdom's going to pot again. You see what I'm saying? So they're, they're going once again, wait, when David barely made it, God was faithful. And now they can continue to say, is God gonna remain faithful again? No name, there was the no name. There was Boaz, the greater name in Bethlehem, Obed, the greater name in all of Israel, David, the king, and the trajectory is going forward in this book. It's going forward all the way to Jesus Messiah, who comes through the line of David, which you'll read the genealogy there in Matthew chapter one. Ruth's story is, is hammering this home. I guess I'm trying to say this. It's, it's hammering this home. God is able to keep his promises. Here's Ruth's story. God is able to keep his promises. Which brings me to the question I asked earlier, because I said, okay, how do I live my life in such a way that, that my name is remembered? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about name on a building. I'm talking, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it further, but that my name is remembered. How? Simply put, it's to live and the confidence that God's able to keep his promises. It's to choose to live your life day in, day out. I will choose to believe that God is keeping his promises and God can keep his promises and God always will keep his promises. I'm gonna make it more concrete and I couldn't do any better than Rob did last week when he said this, it's to live with our words and actions aligned with God's heart. I'm gonna live my life, I am gonna live my life as a person who believes God keeps his promises, which means I'm gonna align my actions, my, my life with God's heart. I'm, gonna, I'm aligned with God's heart, with God's purpose. Now here's God's purpose, a people for himself. I'm kind of layering this. So I'm gonna live my life in such a way that I believe God keeps his promise and I'm aligned with God's purposes and plans. God's purposes and plans are a people for himself. So I will choose to live, to ex I will live for God's purposes, which is to bring a people to himself. Now we're getting all the way down to our mission and why we exist to help those come, people come to know Christ. The way that we make God's name remembered is to live for the good of others at great cost to ourselves. That's what Ruth and Naomi and Boaz did. So, so you know, I've, I've mixed this a little because I said make God's name. You make your name remembered when you live to make God's name remembered. Now all the glory's off of us, it's on God. I got an amazing picture of this last week. Um, second service last week, of course, you weren't here, but in the second service, um, we were doing baby dedications. 
And uh, before the service, I looked over and, and saw Charlie and Patty Brooks. Um, Charlie and Pat, some of you may know Charlie and Patty Brooks. Probably most of you don't. Um, but I, I'll just let, I, 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 got, I got someone to videotape this. So this is second service last week, okay, during the, the baby dedications. And I want you to just, I'll tell a little bit about Charlie and Patty. I want you to see it in this video, and then I'll tie this story together. Here's two people who live to make God's name remembered, and I'm remembering their names in this. On our message this morning, uh, I'm going to get to the message in a moment, but something I want to do first. When you think about these families up here, I want you to put your attention not on the on the on the kids. I want you to put your attention not so much on the the children dedicated, but step back and I want you to look at the parents that were standing here because you look at those parents and you go, that's awesome. You know, I mean, what they said is the message, how they're gonna raise their kids. But you ever think about where did those parents come from? Like, where did the parents come from who are dedicating the kids? And why are they standing there? Uh, because, Because God, there you go. And because somebody was following God, right, along the way. And I, I want to do this. I, uh, I want Charlie and Patty, I want you to come up here. They don't even know who you are. Come on up here and join me, Patty. I'm not going to have Charlie say anything so you can relax. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Charlie, get up here. I got you. Can you come up the stairs? You okay? Come here. Hold my hand. So there you go, Charlie. You're good. I got you. I got you. So Charlie and Patty Brooks, just stand here for a minute. Um, When I moved here, 1996, to plant this church, um, there was a small group of people that, you know, could we fit around a table? He said, would you want to plant a church like this? And all of us were young and we were like, man, is there any older people around that we could grab or whatever, you know, to help us, lead us? And Charlie and Patty stepped in to be a part of the core group to plant this church. Do you remember? And so we stand today on their shoulders And they sit today and watch their great-grandchildren be dedicated because they've got two grandchildren on the stage who are raising their kids in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. What a gift. What a gift to walk with those. And I love it that y'all are here today. And that I get to be here, you know, of all the days to stand with you. Because, man, they've been through the highs and lows of a church plant and the highs and lows of raising kids and loving grandkids and now watching great-grandkids be dedicated. And so I'm going to pray over you, but I'm actually going to ask John and Jeannie to come join me. And I'm going to ask John to pray because even as we stood here today, John and Jeannie were part of that John and Jeannie are part of that group, having just moved here from Houston. Let you hold that. Having just moved here from Houston. And so 
Sean and Jeannie, we're meeting in a small room over at, Frank, at, at it's Church of the City now, but it was a people's church then. You know, that's how the church began. <laughs> you and your kids. And so John and Jeannie stand here today and they watch a daughter who I knew when she was a little girl dedicate their daughter, their child. And so what a gift to stand with you guys. And I, I want to remind us of this because I'm going to open this text in a moment. And it's the story of Ruth. It's the story of family and faith and the providence of God and how God accomplishes his purposes and his plans. And I'm gonna tell you, he does it through his people who trust him and pass that faith along. So, Jeannie, let's get behind. You can, get behind you, can cut it. you can cut it there. And John, I'm gonna ask you to pray a blessing. I'm, just I'm, cutting, your, I'm cutting John off and trust me, John, it's not because John was gonna pray a long prayer. Those of you who know John, <laughs> John prayed a beautiful prayer, but just time-wise, uh, I want to... I want to say in that story and why I share that with you is because how, how do you live that your name is remembered? You live in such a way that you invest your life that there would be a people of God. <laughs> that's how. And that's why. It was just, it was so sweet to see Charlie and Patty who, again, you know, they, two, 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 their grandkids are up here, Lynn, Wilson, and um, uh, Larry Brooks, you know, and then their kids. <laughs> and that's what I would hope for us, that we live in such a way that we make God's name great by seeing that he has a people and he uses us to bring people to himself. I want you to take the Lord's table elements. Would you do that, please? Go ahead and take the top off, take the cup and open it and hold those in your hand. You know, when we take the Lord's table, we're remembering, are we not? And we're remembering Jesus who gave his life that we might live. That's who we're remembering. We're not just remembering what he did, but we're proclaiming that one day he's coming back to set all things right. I want you to go ahead and stand and we're gonna receive the elements in a moment, but I do have one invitation to life from our text today. And I'm just gonna let you think about it. Just with, with the, the elements in your hand, would you consider this question, what might God be calling you to do this week? that would make his name remembered more than your own. There's the, there's the key. You wanna live your life that your name is remembered? You make God's name remembered. That's what matters most. There may be an opportunity this week. You get to choose to make God's name great. That's, what we, that's how we live our life. His name remembered more than our own. Lord Jesus, for your body was broken for us. You gave it up for us to save us, to redeem us. We remember the great cost and we give thanks. Receive the bread. 
And for your blood poured out, this is your life that was given. You gave it up. It wasn't taken, you gave it up. You were separated from the Father so that we never would have to be because you bore the penalty of our sin. You absorbed the wrath, the just wrath of a holy God and satisfied that wrath because your life was perfect, you had no sin. And in receiving this cup, we are proclaiming that truth, looking back at its historical reality, but also looking forward to know that you're coming again to make all things right. And you keep your promise. Receive the cup. Y'all, oftentimes, God would call the nation of Israel back to himself and the prophet would say these words. I want you to hear what the prophet would say to the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Moses. And so now we're, we're, we're going, oh, oh, okay. So it's, it's, it's God is calling us, but, but he's attached to David. He's attached to Moses. May we live our lives that in the right way, people would say, thus says the God of Jay, the God of Cindy, the God of Sally. Oh, it's not our name that's the big part of that, is it? It's our God. We live in such a way, people call on our God. But look, mentioning our name is absolutely appropriate. We're gonna sing of that and let these words remind us of how God has called us to live.